0: Constantino gripped the fluffy cat as if his body was the only source of warmth the youth had left in the world. The dusty, drafty hut felt empty without his father. He knew he needed to leave soon. The miller had left his entire business to his eldest son and heir. This place belonged to his oldest brother, who made it clear that it wasn't Constantino's home anymore. In a numb stupor, he walked like a zombie past the barn and the stable yard, where the young donkey watched him mosey past. His middle brother would be by any time now to pick up the donkey. The beast would be a valuable tool as the young man went out into the world to make a name for himself. The mill would be a great resource for the oldest brother who would build his own empire at home. But Constantino, Constantino got the cat. Rather than a productive resource, the creature would be a drain something that would require constant feeding and give nothing in return. Still, it was the only resource he had to face the world with. Hopelessness weighed on him like an anchor. As though sensing how grim their situation was, the cat leapt from Constantino's arms and for just a moment the youth feared that the cat would abandon him too. He returned after a few moments in the woods and the cat brought with him a few hares beautiful hairs which Constantino skinned for their dinner. Once they were fed, the cat stood directly up in front of the youth and rose onto his hind legs. Poor Constantino, came the cat's scratchy voice. I know your whole world has been upended, but if you provide me with a very large bag and a pair of boots, I can end your sorrow and assure you want for nothing. To say this startled Constantino would be an understatement, but in his emotionally drained exhausted state, he was in no condition to argue with a potentially possessed cat. He traded the rabbit skins for boots and a large burlap sack in town the next day. When he delivered them to the cat, the cat pulled on the boots and vanished into the woods with the sack. In the woods, the cat found the largest, most beautiful pheasant that he could, caught it, and stuffed it into his bag. He tugged and hauled the bag to the court of a nearby wealthy king and presented the lovely pheasant to him, telling the king that it was a gift from the Marquis de Carabas. The next day, day after day, he returned with the very best of the game the forest could provide ducks, turkeys, rabbits, and the like, all flawless fruits of the forest. This went on for several months' time, and eventually the king was feeling very friendly toward the Marquis, despite never having met him. As such, when the cat overheard that the king and his beautiful daughter were taking a carriage ride nearby, the cat moved on to phase two of his plan. As the royal party was trotting past, the cat ordered his master to jump into a nearby lake to bathe. The cat then hid his master's clothes and scurried up the bank, boots and all. He cried and implored the king to help. His master's clothes had been stolen by robbers, and he was drowning in the lake. The king recognized the cat, who belonged to his dear friend, whom he longed to meet at last. He sent some of his rich, fancy clothing to the youth who looked so handsome and noble that the princess immediately fell in love with him. The king asked to see the Marquis de Carabas' castle, and with a wink at his master, the cat told the king that he would lead them to it. Along the way, he told every laborer he met to claim that the land they worked belonged to the Marquis de Carabas. Otherwise, he threatened to kill them. Frightened of the demon cat, they obeyed, and the king marveled at the apparent vastness of the estate. The cat raced forward until he came to the most massive castle in the land, owned by a terrible ogre. This ogre had the ability to change shape, and after huge amounts of flattery, the cat convinced the ogre to turn into the greatest of all creatures, a lion. This so frightened the cat that the ogre laughed and thought it was hilarious such good fun and so hilarious that he then chose to turn into the least of all creatures, a mouse, and the cat immediately fell upon the mouse and ate it. He then returned to the carriage to give the royal party a grand tour of the vast castle of the Marquis de Carabas. The king was so impressed with the land and the castle and the treasure that he immediately offered the youth his daughter's hand. Since the locals were apparently happier working for him than an ogre, nobody bothered to tell the king the truth. Unfortunately, when one doesn't earn the good things that come to them, they are often not as grateful as they ought to be. Despite the fact that Constantino told the cat that he was so grateful that when he died he would have him embalmed and put in a golden coffin in his room, the cat's instincts told him that this might not be altogether true. To confirm his suspicions, the cat feigned his own death. When the princess found him, still and unresponsive one morning, she called to her husband to ask what to do. To the cat's horror, Constantino replied that she should grab the cat by one leg and toss him out the window. The cat stood up and placed a curse on everything the youth had gained by the cat's labor. One can only assume that the sight of a talking cat required an explanation from Constantino to his spouse and everything in his life seemed to collapse from that moment forward. Puss in Boots is number 545 in the ATU, the Arne Thompson Uther Tail Type Index, specifically 545B, Cat as Helper, in the Animal as Helper category. In some versions, it is the mother who passes away at the beginning rather than the father, but it doesn't really change the tail, and in most versions it is the father. In some versions the cat is female, and actually a fairy in cat form. She bestows her blessings on Constantino because she is in love with him, which makes his later betrayal all the worse. Part of why the cat needs the boots is because shoes were a luxury, so for a man to be so wealthy that even his cat had boots to wear meant that he was really something impressive. It plays into the greater message of the story that people will treat and value you very differently based on their perception of your wealth and social position, rather than your actual value as a person. Right or wrong, like it or not, it's a fact that people will often treat a beautiful or wealthy person with much more respect than a plain person with equal or greater value. Thank you for tuning in today. It is always a pleasure to talk to you. If you like the show and you want to support it, share it with your friends or click the support link in the show notes. I will not judge your value based on your physical appearance because obviously I can't see you. But uh, the fact that you tune in every week means that regardless of what you look like, you're of great value to me. So thank you so much for tuning in. I do think it is unusual because like in our... Our society today, we tend to talk about, oh, you know, body acceptance and fat acceptance and everybody's of equal value and you're all beautiful and you're all perfect. But if that were true, wouldn't we all be famous? <laughs> you know, if it, if it were true, then why would we value Scarlett Johansson so much more than me sitting here in, in my closet, <laughs> right? You know, we, we like to talk a lot about how physical perception has no value and it really if we were honest virtuous people shouldn't but the fact of the matter is and i think that's kind of the point of this story in particular is that while it is wrong and while it shouldn't be true the fact of the matter is you need to be prepared for the world to treat you differently based on your appearance based on your clothes based on how you groom yourself it may be wrong i mean you you may be a multimillionaire dressed like a hobo and nobody around you would guess they'd think you're a hobo and not a multimillionaire you could be you know a very upright righteous moral person but if you dress a certain way people will assume that you are not it is you know right or wrong the way society works is to classify people based on their appearance and it has been for a long time the Puss in Boots was written in the year 1550, as far as our earliest recording, and already people were heavily treated very differently, I guess is what I want to say, based on the perception of their value, which was based on largely what they looked like. So while it is wrong, and you know, they they tell us all the time, never judge a book by its cover, I think the point of this story is... T- not to comment on the morality of judging a book by its cover, because of course it's immoral, and of course it's inaccurate. But the point of the story is to prepare you that it's going to happen to you, whether it's correct or moral or not. This is how the world is going to treat you. And pretending that that's not how the world is doesn't make the world what you pretend it to be. And uh, like I said, as unfortunate as it is, as much as this method of generalizing people can often deceive you. The fact of the matter is when you meet somebody, they've already decided what they think of you before you ever open your mouth based on what they see, how you walk, all of that kind of thing. And I think the real message in Puss and Boots is to be very aware of how you present yourself because how you present yourself is how other people will value you like it or not. Again, thanks so much for tuning in. It's always a pleasure to get to have the opportunity to talk to you when I post these episodes. And as always, you can engage with me on Facebook or my email, and I would love to hear back from you. Oh, also the WordPress webpage, I'm on there a couple times a week as well. I would love to hear more about what you think. What are some times where someone has had the wrong impression of you based on what they could see you present to them rather than based on the truth. Have a beautiful day.